Welcome to the Legacy Church Amelia Island podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us. Wherever you're listening from today, we believe that this message will help you to know God and leave a lasting legacy on this earth. You know, I'm not sure what age it starts, and, and maybe you can go back in your own life, but at what point were you aware of what was like socially acceptable and not socially acceptable? Do you know what I mean? Like you found out what was cool and what was not cool, right? The people who you wanted to sit with and not sit with. And, and you begin to gravitate toward those things in life. You know, your parents would say things to you like this. They would say, if everybody jumped off a bridge, would you? And I remember telling my mom, it matters, it depends on who's jumping. You know, I just got to know who's, who's there, at which she would just shake her head in, in dismay. But we, we, we build a life, and I think it starts like in elementary school somewhere, where you kind of figure out who's who and what to wear and what to say and, and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. You begin to gravitate towards that way, and, and the apex in, in, in that adolescent time frame is right, having the right type of friends and, and being in the right sports and all those types of things, you know? I can remember for Courtney and I, you remember this? You might not know this, but Courtney and I were prom king and prom queen. Big deal, real big deal, right? And what you find out when you become this very important position in high school is it means absolutely nothing. (laughs) We didn't get to say anything. We get to do anything. I was trying to make her my queen then is what I was trying to do. She wasn't hearing me real well in 2000, but after that, things started to work out. But we, we seem to gravitate towards what's, what people are talking about, what, what people get excited about, what everybody else is doing. And, and can I tell you, that's not just in the natural world. That happens in the spiritual world as well. There's some really, really popular things in the spiritual world. And, and as I say them, you're going to know what I mean. When we talk about blessings, I guarantee we know like five scripts off the bat about blessings, right? God will go before you. He'll make a way. Be still and know that he is God. All these types of things, the steps of the righteous are what? They're ordered, right? Healing by his stripes, we are healed. And we've got all these types of, they're like very popular things that we, we think about in process, right? Promotion doesn't come from the east or the west. It comes from where? The Lord, right? He's got the cattle on a thousand hills. And we can rattle all these things off if you've been a part of the church culture. Very, very popular. But what you'll watch if you watch the ministry of Jesus is that he talked about the unpopular things. He talked about the type of things that nobody else was talking about. And so his message and his ministry, it was a bit different. He went about things at a different angle, in a different way. And so if the popularity was going that way, Jesus was going which way? That way. And we begin to understand that you don't oftentimes want to side with the majority because that might not always be God's way. And so what you'll find that Jesus begins preaching and teaching and introducing some kingdom language, introducing some kingdom thoughts, and in many cases, reintroducing, in other cases, reiterating what God had already spoken. And one of the things that you'll find Jesus talking about is something called sanctification. Someone say sanctification. Who even knows what sanctification is? Raise your hands. All right, good amount knows, but a good amount doesn't know. Here's the problem with not knowing what sanctification is. Here's the problem with not knowing what it is. It's all over the Bible. So if we would read our Bible, you'd see it appear all over the place. Sanctification, sanctified, holy, holiness, all these things that truly depict, watch this, what God's will is 
what Christ-likeness is. That's what sanctification begins to depict in our lives. And, and before I tell you what it actually means, I want to help you understand how important it is. Sanctification keeps you and I in check. It keeps our flesh in check. It keeps our carnal nature in check. It makes us go before God every day like David did and say, God, search me. And what's not right in my heart, would you deal with it? Would you cut it away? And that's a tough prayer to pray because God will do that, won't he? He'll reveal the things you really don't want to talk about. You really don't want to pray about. Have you ever had that moment where you're like, God, I don't want to think on that because I don't have to repent or have to go apologize or something like that. But sanctification is so vital. It's so important. It should build a framework to how we live for God. I'll say this. A life without sanctification, it's like being on a cruise ship. Anybody cruised in here? Anybody cruised? We used to do this a lot when our girls were little because cruises are easy. Everything's there for you, right? Everything's just in this little confined area, and they plan everything out, and they have an agenda. You're just like, hey, we're here. Feed us and show us what to do, right? And our girls were little, and, and all three of them, what I found on cruises is that they found out something that was very strategic on the cruise, and it's called a 24-hour buffet. <laughs> they found it all on their own. I have to help them with homework, right? I have to help them to clean their room. I have to help them to be obedient. They found the buffet all on their own. No one helped them. No one led them there. There was no process around it. There was no, I'm counting to 10. And if you don't buy, nope. They found it all on their own. And so, you know, you, you try to be a little more relaxed as, as a parent, you know, let them kind of do what they want on vacation and eat what they want. But what we found out by day two or three, they weren't in a good place. Because they were supplementing the meat and potatoes. They were supplementing the protein for the what? The snacks and the sweets. So we didn't have to tell them to stop going to the 24-hour buffet around the clock and filling their little bowls with vanilla ice cream and gummy bears and Oreo cookies and, and, and Swedish fish. I didn't know those things could go on ice cream. I didn't know it was a thing. We didn't have to tell them to stop doing that because something didn't feel right. Something felt off. They were full, but they were hungry. They had nutrients, but just not the right nutrients. There was more available that they uh, may have not knew that they needed, but now something was saying, hey, there's a problem here. The cramps. There's an issue going on here. You feel sick. And so as we talk about sanctification today, you know what's going to happen? Someone's going to have a paradigm shift. Your feet have been stuck in the sand. You have been going back and forth that you've lost your first love. And, and this today coming to church felt like I got to do it. You're watching everybody else get breakthrough and you have no breakthrough. As a matter of fact, you feel broken. Sanctification is going to be something that you are going to see God in a fresh light, a new way. If you truly give yourself to it and see what God wants to say about it. God, from the very inception of Scripture, makes his heart known when it comes to sanctification. I know you're still waiting for the definition, but it's coming. He, he makes his heart known very clearly. and You don't have to go very far in your Bible, but the second book of your Bible, Exodus chapter 13 and verse 2, watch what he says. It's, it's pretty moving. He says this, sanctify to me every firstborn. He's saying that, that that's mine. The firstborn of every womb among the sons of Israel and among the people and the animals, and like, it belongs to who? Me. So without giving you the definition, you're seeing what it's about. It's about ownership. 
He's saying, you're going to sanctify, you're going to set them apart, they're going to be mine. Oh, he mentions what? The womb. The womb has always been God's. The womb has always been sacred. He's the one that puts a seed in the womb of a woman. Amen? Every good move of God has come from what? The womb. It's sacred, set apart. It is his and his alone. And so what is God doing? He's setting the standard for the understanding of what sanctification is. He's saying from the very beginning, set apart that womb, set apart those people. They are mine. And we know the people of Israel, the Jews, they'd be what? They'd be holy. They'd be set apart. They would mix among other nations, but then they'd have to come back to their true north of what? Serving the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Serving the one true God, Yahweh. So he's, he's setting the scene here. And so now let me give you a good working definition of sanctification, okay? Here's what it is. Sanctification literally means to set apart for special use or purpose. And so my Bible right here is sanctified to teach the word of God, is sanctified to reprove, rebuke the the believer, to teach us in all things of God. It would not be a good doorstop, right? Because it's sanctified, set apart, to teach the word of God. And so it's saying that sanctification sets apart for special use. This is to make holy or sacred. Sanctification refers to the state of the process of being set apart. And here's some other words, made holy as a vessel and full of the Holy Spirit. And so do you see what it means? It means that there is a specific purpose for which God designs and designates it for. And so when you're raising your kids, you let them know, hey, it's not about what you, you, you get caught doing. It's about knowing that you're sanctified and you're set apart. And so it's not about if your parents find out, it's about if your God finds out. It's not supposed to feel good. That's why conviction comes in, because once we are saved, we're what's sanctified. We're set apart to serve God. Sanctification is so important. Hebrews puts it like this. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, it says, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be what? Holy. So you'll hear that word often when talking about sanctification. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Can we just stop there for a moment? This is a big deal. We can't just live the way we want and do what we want, act how we want, and then just a bunch of grace covers it. That's not in the Bible. You know what is in the Bible? Let me read it again. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That's in the Bible. The rest of the stuff, uh, does God really care? I mean, there are gray areas. God gets it. I have not yet read that God gets it. Well, I mean, if you give your best intention, if you're a good person, I've not yet read that in the Bible. And so here's where the rubber meets the road, right? Here's either where you grow your church or you empty your church out. You kind of find out where you are, right? When you talk about sanctification, you talk about holiness, you talk about what God desires, not what friends desire, not what popularity desires, not what cultural Christianity desires, not what pop culture Christianity desires, what God desires. Someone say amen. Hey, you guys have to support me in this, all right? So for the rest of time, when you hear the word sanctification, when you hear the word sanctified, when you hear the word holy, when you hear the word set apart, you've got to be thinking in this mode, oh, God deeply cares about this. This is important to God, so it becomes important to me. Oh, you can't inherit the kingdom of God without this. You can't spend eternity with God not being sanctified, not living for him, and then when we die, well, I'm going to spend eternity with him because I never lived for him, but, but yet I'm going to live eternity 
with him and for him? Do you see what I'm saying? You, you, you can't have both. And we're in a culture that might preach and teach that. We're in a culture that if you go to the wrong place, you might get some motivational speaking that will teach that. So you'll walk out the same, but that's not what God is looking for. He's saying that you and I are in a place in life, we're in the flesh, that we need to not be where we've always been, but set apart and sanctified. Jesus preaches a very unpopular kingdom. There's a lot of kingdoms at that time that were very popular. Rome was the most popular. They controlled the, the world at that time. Jesus' kingdom, not popular. Because it didn't lead by political influence. It didn't lead by war. He would say, my kingdom is not of this world. And he's preaching and teaching this kingdom through the message or through the doctrine of sanctification. So unpopular, this message of sanctification, of holiness, to be Christ-like. So unpopular. Do you know Jesus' church? It folded in 36 months. I often wonder if I was there, would I be a part of Jesus' ministry? Or would I say to the disciples, this is too hard. These words are too much. What? Eat your body and drink your blood? Which is to say to be Christ-like, which is to say follow his example. This is, this is too much. And so we see he teaches and preaches a gospel that a lot of it had to do with sanctification that was very, very unpopular. But what I'm believing is that there's going to be something to rise up in the saints here. This is going to be popular to talk about. We're going to be excited to talk about these things. We're going to be excited to live it out. Amen. Someone give God a hand if you're excited about the word of God, like you mean it, like you mean it. Like you want God to stir you and you want to be sanctified and set apart for what he has called you. Because here's what you're going to find out. You have been sanctified. You have been called. You have been chosen to very specific things in life and away from very specific things in life. That's the key and that's the importance. You won't just find out what you're sanctified for. You'll find out what you're sanctified from. Jesus uses this kingdom language and sets the stage for what he desires for all of his disciples, for all that would follow after his unpopular kingdom. You do know Jesus wasn't a homecoming king, right? You do know that, right? You do know Isaiah says there's nothing about us that would draw him to, draw us to him. Here's what Jesus says, John chapter 17 and verse 16. This is really, really good. Watch what he says. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Side note, Jesus assumed that you and I would see things the way he saw things. He would assume that we're in the world, not of the world. He would assume that you and I would be in this this life, but our hearts would be eternity bound. Verse 17, what does he say? Sanctify them by the truth. That's important. That's really, really important. You put a bookend in that, you highlight that in your scripture. He says, sanctify them by your what? Truth. Now, here's what you're going to find out. You don't have to be a study of historian to know this. Truth in every generation has always been relative. You have your truth. I have my truth. Don't step on my truth. And I won't step on your truth. But according to God, truth has only been one thing and one thing alone. Let's continue in the scripture. It says, watch, your word is truth. So I don't care what's now legal that wasn't legal. I don't care what groups are now gathering. I don't care what's permissible now in schools, what's permissible here or there. Truth has always been what? Truth. And what is truth? See, if you're listening, what is truth? The word of what? Okay, so let every man be true. Or I'm sorry, let, let God be true and every man be what? There you go. So now we know where truth is. Now we know the standard of truth is. Truth is God's word. 
That's what we find in every area and every thought of life. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Not as I hid, I'm going to hide my kids and hide my family and hide my, no, 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 no. I sent them into the world. I sent them out two by two. No matter how dark it was, their light, the Holy Spirit, which is that much brighter. Verse 19, for them, I sanctify myself. For them, I set myself apart. For them, I live the higher standard. For them, I live the above reproach. For them, I live the holy life. For them, I did the hard stuff. Not just in public, but in private. For them. I'm just wondering, who's the for them in your life? Is that your spouse? Is that your children? Is that your family? Is that your coworkers? Who's the for them that you're going to live a sanctified life, a set-apart life, a holy life? You're going to live above reproach. Like There may be some things that you can do and not fall into sin, but there's some other people around you that you know if they saw or if they were a part of it, they'd fall into sin. You say, well, I'm not even going to do it. I'm not even going to be a part of it because I want to sanctify myself like Jesus did for others. He didn't have to do it. He wasn't going to sin, but he does it for others. That they too may be truly what? In one breath, you've got Jesus using the word sanctify three times. Kind of a big deal. Really important. You and I have to dig in now to what, why so much, why so often, what are you saying and what are you doing here, Jesus? It's very, very important because we will not inherit the kingdom of God unless we understand, unless we live for God's kingdom and we pursue God's kingdom. Once again, we cannot assume to spend eternity with God if we don't spend any time with him here in this world. We cannot assume that we're going to live for him for eternity if we're not living for him here. And this is a very direct message from Jesus. That's what makes it unpopular. And for some people, I get your background. You're like, hey, this, this feels a little bit legalistic. It feels a little bit religious. It feels a little bit traditional. Well, let me help you with that. The most legalistic, the most traditional, the most rigid, the most will take you out for not obeying 612 Jewish laws was someone named Saul. So he was very religious, very rigid when he was Saul, but he has his conversion with someone named Jesus on the road to Damascus. And so then post-conversion, watch what happens. He's not rigid. He's not religious. He's not legalistic. He's on fire for the Lord. He's living this life of sanctification. And as he lives this life post-religion, or religious spirit, you could say, and post-legalism. Watch what he says to the church here. He's writing letters to the church, and he had to deal with some stuff. Whenever you're reading letters in the New Testament, um, Paul is writing letters to the church because he's getting feedback where he's at the church, and they're just being people. People are people, man. If people are not in the office, there's nothing to clean up. You know what that means? Look it up. But they're being people. And so he's got to write this letter. Remember, not religious, not legalistic. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. He was tutored by who? Gamaliel. But now he's got this freedom in Christ. And watch his message. He says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3. This is fun. And by fun, I mean it can get awkward. All right. It is God's will that you should be what? This is message to the church. You should be sanctified. That you should avoid what? Sexual immorality. Paul just goes there. Right there. Sexual immorality. And who is he talking to? He's talking to singles. He's talking to married folks. He's talking to students. He's talking to adults. Wherever sexual immorality lands, he's like, we're going to deal with this. We got this weird thing that we think, oh, our, our modern day is the worst because of social media and this. No, sexual immorality has always been a thing. It's always been pervasive. It's like, a, it's like a mold. If it's allowed, it will grow. 
And so he says in verse four that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that's what? Or sanctified. That's holy and honorable. Holy unto who? God. Honorable unto who? God. Not your friends, not your family, not social media, not movies, not entertainment, because they will tell you, hey, do you. They will say, do what makes you feel right. They will say, find yourself. Have you heard these things? Find yourself. And that's weird because if you don't know who you are, how do you find yourself? How do you come upon someone you've never met? And so he's letting us know very clearly there's a standard, even when it comes to our sexuality and it comes to who we are, how that's expressed. And by the way, remember, sex isn't bad. God created. Did we forget that? A little too holier than thou. Sex is not bad done in the right context of marriage. God creates Adam and Eve. He creates the marriage bed, and then he allows these things, right, to create soul ties. And so Paul, he's, he's in the church. This is not the world he's talking to. He's like, y'all are missing this one. There's a lot of sexual immorality in the church. I'll let your imagination run wild on what was going on in the church. But he's like, this is not holy and honorable. Verse 5, not impassionate lust like the pagans. Watch this, who don't know God. We love attacking people who don't serve God, don't we? We love attacking the world. We make the mission field the enemy. Isn't that funny? We make the mission field the enemy. Isn't that funny? We make the mission field the enemy. Isn't that funny? We call them left wing. We call them right wing. We call them those people over there and those people over there. Isn't that funny what we do? We make the mission field the enemy. And I'm going to keep saying that because what's going to happen is you're going to want to say something and think something about someone, and God's going to trip you up with your sanctification. Hey, you're holy and you're set apart. You love that person because the goal is with the mission field, not the enemy. The mission field is that they see the love of Christ in us, and they're compelled to serve our God. Because right now, I'm not convinced that's the case. Based on our habits, our behaviors, our social media, and everything else, I'm not convinced they can see our love. They know what we stand against, but they don't know what we love. And Jesus says that's how they are brought into the kingdom, by the love of Christ. So he goes on to say, yeah, the pagans, guess what? They're doing what pagans do because they don't know God. Verse 6, the Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. So do you know why you don't hear about sin and sanctification in the church? You know why? Because of verse 6 or verse six here. Because you got to talk about punishment. You have to say that God's a just God. You have to say that God doesn't just let things go or no longer is he God. Yes, he's merciful. Yes, he forgives. But the Bible is very, very clear. Whatever we sow, we what? And that's just the law. And so a good parent tells their child these things. You put your hand on that stove, guess what's going to happen? You cross a street without looking left and right, guess what's going to happen? A good parent does that, and this is what he's being. He's being a good parent. Verse 7, for God did not call us to be impure, but to what? A holy life or sanctification. Therefore, anyone who, watch verse eight. This is powerful. Watch this. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being. You're not rejecting me. You're not rejecting the Bible. Watch this. But the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. When we reject living for God, we reject being set apart. We reject living holy. It's not cool. It's old-fashioned. Did God really mean? I mean, you know, times have changed. We are not in AD 33. Well, we just read how truth is his word. And we just read how truth is not relative. I don't care what generation. I don't care what's going on. I don't care how many interest groups. Truth is what? Truth. 
what God calls sacred from Exodus is still sacred today. It's truth. So God's expectation of sanctification is that we understand this is the core, one of the core, core doctrines of our faith in Christianity. I would guess in the last 30 days, the things that you and I have prayed for, that probably the progressive sanctification in our life would maybe not make our list. Pray for family and friends and opportunities and blessings. We probably haven't considered sanctification much. But after today, I'm willing to bet it's going to be in there moving forward. We've just read the words of our God in Exodus. We've read the words of Jesus. We've read the words of Paul. And it seems like that's on their heart. It seems like that's in their prayer time. It seems like that's what they want to convey to the believer. So that probably should be top of priority for you and I. Amen? So let me give you an understanding of what sanctification looks like, okay? You've got three pieces to it. The first is this, positional sanctification or past sanctification. This is neat. This is when instantaneously you experience sanctification at the point of salvation where God views you as conformed to the image of Christ. So as you say, Jesus, come into my life, there's a certain sanctification. You are set apart. You are now a child of God. You are now viewed not by your past, your worst moments. You're viewed as what? A child of the king through the blood of Jesus. First Corinthians uh, 1 says this, to the church of God, which is occurring to those who have been what? Speaking of the past, they've been sanctified. They've been set apart in Christ Jesus. Saints by calling all those in every place, call in the name of the Lord Jesus, their Lord. This is what he wants you to understand, that once you are saved, you have a, an actual relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a demonstration of your faith. You have been sanctified as a child of God. When you pray, you are talking to your father. You're not just talking to some God somewhere. When you intercede on behalf of someone else, you are taking a petition to the Father in the name of the Son. Jesus says, when you ask anything in his name, it will be done according to the will of the Father. So you've been sanctified. You have been set apart. Okay, so that's the first type of sanctification. And this would be called positional sanctification or past. And then you have, at the end of our existence, something called perfect sanctification or future. This is when we're either raptured or we die and we spend eternity with the Lord. And so we are now fully and wholly sanctified, set apart, living with the Lord. First John says it like this. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be what? And what is God? Holy, sacred, set apart. For we shall see him as he is. Anybody looking forward to that day? That is where the Lord is leading us to perfect or future sanctification. The rest of our time today will be in the one that we're in the thick of right now, knee deep in it. Ready? Progressive sanctification. This is the present. This is where you and I right now, this is the trenches. This is the foxhole. This is living for God when it's hard. This is living for God in the office when no one else is living for God. This is living for God in the school when everybody laughs at it. This is living for God when they are on your nerves. This is the day in and day out fight to live for God. Paul says, I will beat this flesh under submission. Paul said, this thorn in the flesh is on my last nerve. This is where your Monday through Saturday takes off. That we are... Every day drawn closer to God and our walk with God, our allegiance, our loyalty to God, hopefully it is closer than it was in 2020. That we're not still stagnant. We're not still going the same spaces. We begin to, what sin used to hold us captive, we now hold that sin captive. We tell it where to go. 
And we, we protect ourselves. We have accountability in our lives. Uh, Paul puts it like this in Philippians. He says, I press towards the mark for the prize, the high calling of God in who? Christ Jesus. He's letting us know you have to fight for this. You have to work for this. He's very clear in this, that salvation, that's a free gift. Progressive sanctification, that's hard work. That's digging in the trenches. That's saying no. That's not going there. That's not listening to that. That's not watching that. That's not, that's not hanging around certain types of people, right? That's, that's doing whatever you have to do to stay pure before God. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 says this, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of what? Reverence to God. That peace of reverence to God is very, very important because we don't, we don't look at sanctification as, well, I've got to so God doesn't get mad at me. Or I have to forgive and I have to love and I, I can't live resentful and I can't live bitter and I can't live lustful and I'm, I've got to be kind. I've got to be generous. I, I do have to tithe because the Bible does say it. And, and I, Paul says it like this and it's so beautiful the way he says it. It is out of what? reverence to God. There should be something in you and I that we are moved to serve him. We are moved to worship him. I am moved to get on my knees before God. I am moved to open the scripture to glorify his name. There should be something on the inside of that stirs that say, God, this is a privilege. This is a pleasure to call you my king. And Lord, I am, I'm grateful, I'm thankful, I honor you, and I love you. People ask me often, how do you know you're, you're saved or you're right? If you don't feel a heart towards God, question that. If you don't have a desire for the things of the kingdom, but you find yourself always having a desire for things of the world, question where you are and question if you truly have repented in your life. There's got to be a want to. In the same way you and I want to hang out and want to do things with other people and want to give ourselves to everything else, life and degrees and goals and accomplishments, there's got to be a want to to serve this king. Paul puts it very perfectly when he says his heart serves him out of reverence. And and this this is what he's trying to explain to people because remember, the audience for Paul specifically are Jews who were all about the outward ceremony and forgetting it was about the heart. And so they're purifying in these, all these different ways, but there's so many things that are yet to be handled. And so what's happening is we can be holy at the same time in the process of becoming holy. This is what he's talking about. Ephesians puts it like this, for God chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. God chooses us to be set apart. First Peter puts it like this, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. I think God's message is pretty clear, that there's a standard that he's calling of you and I. And we don't compare ourselves to ourselves or to other people. We compare ourselves to God's word. We compare ourselves to the truth of God's word. We compare ourselves to God's standard and his heart for us that we live above reproach, not because someone may find out, but because it is a privilege to serve our king. It's because we are working out day in and day out our progressive salvation, sanctification rather, to draw closer to him and to honor him and to love him. And I will say this, depending on how long you've been in the church world, sanctification, holiness, holy living, it gets a bad rap. Like there was a generation that they, 
I guess they taught it like with hate in their heart. <laughs> and, and, and it usually came down like that, like very judgmental. Like if you ever grew up going to church, you had to dress a certain way or look a certain way or you look, be looked down on. Do you know what I'm talking about? I remember coming up uh, somehow with, with legalism and religious stuff. The women always get the hard part of it, right? Uh, coming up, the girls couldn't show their knees. They couldn't show their neck, right? Cover the knees and the neck. That's weird. That's just, that's just weird. They're, 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 they were thinking behavior modification when God is speaking about spiritual modification, right? Coming up, you don't go to the movies, you don't do this and that. And uh, Well, well if, if you're working out your sanctification, God will show you what to wear, not to wear. God will show you what to watch, what not to watch. Like we're worrying about the wrong thing. We're talking about habits and behaviors, and those are the symptoms, not the root. Paul's speaking to the root. Jesus is speaking to the root. It's sanctification. And so now when you're praying for yourself or praying for others, you might want to start praying about sanctification for those who are saved. Not God, help them stop doing this and stop participating in this and stop giving themselves to this. Would you work out their sanctification? Would you create a beacon in their heart where they begin to love you and they begin to serve you like they never have? Amen? And so what we have seen throughout generations, there's been an overcorrection, Right? And that's dangerous. When you overcorrect the will, people get hurt. And if you've been hurt by overcorrection and legalism and religiousness and, and people just treating you terrible, I apologize. I'm sorry for that. But that's not the word of God, and that's not the heart of God. Sanctification is massively important. And I'll be honest, I don't know what generation we, we, we drifted away from talking about sanctification, holiness, sin. My guess is when you talk about those things, people leave. And when you motivate people, they come. That's my guess. That, that, that's just all I can say. When the attractional church model starts in the late 90s, early 2000s, man, we were motivational speakers. And you attract, you attract, you attract, but you empty out when you start saying, hey, check your heart. Check your motivations. Why do you serve God? Are you after his presence or do you truly want his presence? Do you have a heart for the kingdom or just have a heart for your own kingdom? Like These are things that we have to walk through and we have to pray about and we have to seek God's face because it's the mark of authentic faith that our desire and our goal is to be Christ-like, not me-like, not my friends-like, not cultural-like, not pop culture-like, Christ-like. I find all that I am in him, the Bible says, we put on the mind of Christ. That is our desire to love him and to serve him with an everlasting love. And watch this, not that we are indebted to Christ, because that would suggest that we could pay him back. That would suggest that I can do things to please him. That don't, once again, don't, don't get into those waters. It is our acceptable service. It is with gratitude, it is with love that I could dedicate my existence to him because of how good he has been to me. That is what true progressive sanctification focuses on. And, and here's where we begin to have a problem, not in the world, but in the church. Because in the church, in Christianity, we somehow got in a space where we have pet sins. Here's what I mean. We call everybody else out except for ourselves. We use words like, well, I'm not hurting anybody. Have you read that in the Bible? We use conversations like, well, I know worse people than me. We use words like, well, I'm not cheating on my spouse. We, we use these things. You, you can't find that in the Bible. You can't find the gray in the Bible. You find either committed to God or not. You find either sold out to God or not. You find a heart fixed towards God or not. And when it comes to sin, man, the rule of thumb is if you couldn't do it 
watch it, say it, be a part of it with Jesus or your mother in the room, don't do it. Stop it today. Like, those are two for me. If Jesus or my mom couldn't be in the room, don't do it. Don't say it. Don't be a part of it. Don't, like, if, if, if there's a part of us that struggles, all of us, there is a part of us that struggles. All of us. Surrender to God, but take it serious. Because what I've seen in our current generation, we don't take sin serious. It's almost like we think God's playing games. Like, well, that one part of sin and that one part of being arrogant or prideful or lustful or eagle or, or prejudice or like I was joking with those because you're 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 my you're my only child and I give you special privileges. That is not in the Bible. And so what we have to do in a real way is seek the heart of God and seek his face and know what he thinks. James 4.17 says it like this. It says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And oftentimes we know what God wants for our lives. and We know what he doesn't want for our lives. Sin is nothing to play with and it's very dangerous when we don't take it serious. Sin is very dangerous. Sin will never, never show you the cost. It will never show you the penalty. It'll just show you what feels good in the moment. It'll just show you what will appease ego or pride or fill in the blank. And the problem is this, is that people are dying, not because of lack of pleasures, but too many pleasures. Because the Bible says sin is fun for a season. The Bible talks about Sin having pleasures, and there's always, always going to be pleasures, right? But what the Bible teaches us is that pleasure without God, pleasure without sanctification, we'd be missing it. Genesis 4, 7 says this, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you, do must, you must do what? Rule over it. It's waiting to take you down. It's waiting to take your family. It's waiting to take your mental health your emotional health. It's waiting to put you in a place where you're going to be traumatized and far from God. Sin is waiting. Can you imagine that? Like you're walking in. My girls scare their mom all the time and she hates it. But they crouch behind the door and then they pop out and she threatens their life. I've seen it and I've heard it. And can you imagine sin, the devil being just that way? Men, women, students, sin is crouching behind an app. Sin is crouching behind a relationship. Sin is crouching behind your Monday and your Thursday and your after hours. Sin is crouching behind habits and behaviors, just waiting to suck you in and suck me in and to keep us there. But the Bible says we don't have to hide from sin. You know what we can do? We can live in the spirit. Galatians 5.16 says this. So I say that the Holy Spirit guides your lives. We don't live in, oh, I hope I don't sin and I didn't get to these things. No, let me be guided by the Spirit of God. It says, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature desires. Sanctification, holiness, these are wonderful, wonderful guardrails. These are wonderful guardrails. I didn't know how much I loved guardrails until I started traveling. I don't know how this works, but the higher you get up a mountain, the smaller the roads get. And I don't know what architect right now is sitting around just laughing, all of us who get really sick and fearful of heights when we get higher. But the higher you go on these mountains, the smaller the roads get, and I'm always looking for the guardrails. I'm like, like, if things don't go well, is there something to keep me on the road? I want you to look at sanctification, specifically progressive sanctification that way. These are guardrails. 
These are guardrails to protect you and to keep you in wholeness and strength. These are things that God's not trying to limit us, but protect us and love us like a good parent. You know, time and time again, we get fooled by the devil thinking that if it breaks God's heart, it would somehow fill our heart. How would that work? If it breaks the heart of God, it will never fulfill our heart. You know, I can remember when I lived at home with mom and dad and I'd come home late from soccer practice and they'd be in bed and, and I'd jump on the bed. Anybody did that when you, when you were young? You'd jump in the bed with you. I still do it today if they're in bed when I get there, but jump in bed with them. And I remember, you know, always looking up to my dad and I still do today. I remember just laying on him like this and bear hugging him. He's trying to sleep. And I'm just bear hugging him. And, and I remember putting my ear on his chest. And to this day, you know what I can remember? I can remember the rhythm of his heart. I can remember the rhythm of his heartbeat. And every night I come up and practice, jump on him and just sit there for five or ten minutes, smell like the soccer field, and just I can just hear the rhythm of his heart. And whenever I wasn't being a good son or whenever I got into trouble and whenever things weren't going well, you know what happened? At night, I wouldn't go and jump in there because I was shamed, because I knew there was something between us. And the devil wants to make you forget the rhythm of your father's heart. He wants to make you ashamed. He wants to put sin in your heart to where you don't want to spend those moments laying on the chest of your God and just hearing the rhythms of his heart. And how much he loves you. And the, and, and the Bible says that he doesn't have evil, but he has a purpose and a plan for your life. He wants to take away that closeness because that's the problem with sin. It takes away the closeness with God. You always feel convicted. And, and that's the plot of the enemy. That's the sin that crouches behind the door. That hopes that you and I would, would not take sanctification serious and not start cleaning out our heart and cleaning out our lives and cleaning out our closets. Anything that doesn't honor God, anything that's far from God, anything that is in the gray area, he hopes that we forget the beat of our Father's heart and how much our Father is for us and how much he loves us. And so here's why Jesus talks about sanctification. It was unpopular then. It's unpopular now but it'll change your life. It'll, it'll put you in places spiritually. It'll get you a closeness and nearness to God that you've been desiring for so long. You didn't know you needed it. You didn't know you were longing for it. But as you begin to every day, you start your day with, Holy Spirit, lead me. You start your day with, Lord, protect me from the sins that will pull me away from your heartbeat. You begin to, to experience God at a different level. And once again, this is a balanced mess and a balanced approach. Nothing can separate you from the heart of God. Nothing can separate you from, the, the, from, from, from God's hand. None should be plucked out of his hand. But there sure can be things that come up that, that create gaps, that create tension, that we're so focused on other things we, we can't hear the heartbeat of God. And so here's how I want to end today. I want to give you a place of where to start. How do you start with working on your sanctification and, and surrendering it to God and, 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 and for once and for all, just overcoming the demons and overcoming the, 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 the habits and the behaviors and, and the different things that have come in your life, you start today. You start surrendering today. People ask me at times, uh, how far do I go before it's sin? And they start to tell me, like, how many can of this? How can I do this? And I say, hey, stop. stop. I don't, don't want to know. I don't need to know. 
if you're asking the question how far to go, you've gone too far. Gone too far. That's not legalistic. That's having a heart for God. Here's a couple of thoughts. How do I start? Three ways to work on progressive sanctification. Here's, here's a couple ways. Here's the first one. Spend time in the word of God, Psalms 119.11. I'm telling you what, all that we need is found in his word. The guide ramp, the, the guardrails, all that we need is be focused and faithful are found in his word. The second is spend time in prayer with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 6.18. The Holy Spirit reveals himself to you. The Holy Spirit gives you discernment. I try to teach my daughters all the time, pray about it. And if God doesn't give you a peace, don't do it. Don't go there. Don't say it. Don't be a part of it. That is the best place to go for wisdom. And the last is spend time in accountability of the fellowship of the believers. Don't forsake this gathering. We've got to get people in the house of God, in groups, in serving. Be around other people who are living holy. Other people who are working on this progressive sanctification that we will work on to the day we die, but it's good to be around other people who are working on it. Other people who don't mind repenting and saying, man, I missed the mark. I'm going to pray and, and get back on track and get focused on, the God, on God. Amen? And so although this has been part of the unpopular kingdom of Jesus' message, can anybody agree this is significant? This is important. This is going to start to change homes and to change lives and then change communities, and then change a nation. But it's got to start here. It's got to start here. We've got to love God in such a way that we, we look for ways to serve him, look for ways to be obedient, and look for ways to check our heart, take the plank out of our own eye before we try to take the speck of somebody else's eye. And so, Lord, I pray today that, Lord, you would teach us to lean into this unpopular kingdom of sanctification and, and this doctrine that you teach us that is so vastly important. That's part of the keys to the kingdom. Lord, would you in this moment search our hearts? Like Hebrews declares, so that we would live a life holy and set apart so we can we'll spend eternity with you. We desire to be faithful. We desire to be obedient. But there's a part of our flesh that doesn't desire that, Father. There's certain coping mechanisms and habits and behaviors and just ways we grew up thinking about people, talking to people and acting. And there's, there's, there's all kinds of things we have to Lord, surrender to you afresh and anew. As we end this year, Father, we leave some things behind. Help us to forgive. Help us to move on. Help us to release and surrender things and thoughts and pains and traumas and hurts so we can live for you holy, Father. Give us a heart that, Lord, when we're far from you, when we do something that's sinful, Father, you convict us that we be faithful and obedient, I pray. And lastly, with your heads bowed, if you're far from Jesus Christ in this place, if you need to get back on track because you, you've walked away for whatever reason or maybe you've never prayed the prayer to receive Jesus, I want to give you this moment to receive him in your heart or to rededicate your heart to him and live in the sanctification he promises you. And so if that's you, I want you to posture yourself, whether you're in the building or online. It's a place of surrender, whether it's hands raised or heads bowed. And I just believe in this moment, God can speak to you in a way like nobody else could. Church, can you pray with me and those who are going to pray in this prayer? Lord God, we repent of our sins. We welcome Jesus into our life. 
Holy Spirit, give us a hunger for your word and for discipleship. The rest of our days, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that you were challenged, impacted, and blessed by the message today. We're so glad you joined us. For more information, please visit LegacyChurchAI.org or take a moment to follow us on Instagram at LegacyChurchAI.org.